It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. Look what you made me do! And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio! Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. War Games is on the horizon. A legend has passed away. And the NWA is back during pandemic time. We have a few things to talk about on this modern pro wrestling edition of HIC Talk Radio. I am the above average comedian, Dan Calchico. Follow me on Twitter, DanLaw83. Mark Go Thompson, you can follow him at Go Thompson. Craig Lagans is at Craig Lagans. Drill heart at the bottom of your screen that I'm not going to ever add there. <laughs> it's because I mean I could, I know I could, and I think I will. Oh, now you're going to be a graphic. Yeah. Oh boy! You should see my other videos that <laughs> nobody else does. You should watch my other videos at YouTube. You need an in- what? You need an intern. I do need an intern. I had an intern. Bum, 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 bum. And no, it wasn't. Another story. That's not that kind of story, but it is a whole other story. You, you can, she read this. She can hear me. So anyway, but we're cool now. My point was, is I, you know, had an assistant. And nobody likes me. Uh, but anyway, uh, Craig, an unorthodox start here. So I'm going to throw it off to you, throw it to you. Because apparently English has skipped me this week, and this would kind of fit under historian, but we're going to still have a separate historian episode. But, as I said at the top, uh, a legend has left the earth, another one, and that would be Pat Patterson. So I figure we'd be better off with you and Mark taking this one, <laughs> and I'll just have something to say at the end, um, and I'll just hang back, Mr. Legos. Yeah, well, thank you for that gracious introduction, to Mr. Kalachiko. Uh, yes, for anyone listening to this podcast, we are all about professional wrestling, and we lost a significant figure in professional wrestling this morning. Uh, we lost Pat Patterson. Um, 
uh, longtime uh, employee of the of the WWE, uh, being the eldest senior member of uh, this podcast. I remember Pat Patterson long before he came to the, the WWE. Um, as uh, his place in history is assured, because for those of you who only know Pat Patterson as the behind the scenes guy in WWE, as one of the Stooges with Jerry Briscoe as one of Vince's right-hand man, or even if you know him as the first Intercontinental Champion, even if you weren't old enough to know when he won it, or you just know that because he's always referred to as that, the very first Intercontinental Champion. Um, Pat Patterson's legacy and history goes way, way, way back before that. Um, Coming out of Canada, he broke into the sport in 1958, uh, and... uh, in the 60s and through the 70s. And it wasn't until they got to San Francisco where the promoter, Roy Shire, a very influential promoter, started a lot of people's career, told Pat to dye his hair blonde because he wanted to team him up with his other uh, main star in San Francisco named Ray Stevens. And Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens formed the original Blonde Bombers. And Red Hart, Dusty Rhodes, even... Um, so Jim Ross referred to them as the greatest tag team of the 70s. Uh, the Blonde Bombers were incredibly influential, and to every team from Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes to the Freebirds said, word for word, they patterned themselves. They wanted to be like Patterson and Stevens. Patterson and Stevens were synonymous. They won three uh, NWA World Championships um, back when the San Francisco Territory recognized the World Championship as the NWA title. This is back when there were several different NWA tag team titles. Uh, several different territories referred to their tag team champions as world champions. And Patterson and Stevens ranked above, head and shoulders above every other tag team uh, in the 70s and in the United States. Uh, and when they moved to the AWA, uh, when Patterson did, he he uh, turned a uh, bad guy. Uh, he was a face in San Francisco, turned bad guy in, in Florida, much to my chagrin. And then when he went to the AWA, he and Stevens reformed the Blonde Bombers and won the AWA Tag Team Championship from Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel. Uh, they both were up and there in age, but their moves, their their tag team ability, the way they both came off the top rope is still copied to this day. If you look at any Blonde Bombers, Patterson and Stevens uh, matches on YouTube, you can see shades of the Midnight Express. You can see shades of the Andersons, of Tully and Arn. Uh, the tag team of Patterson and Stevens, like I said, the original Blonde Bombers. And a lot of teams have called themselves Blonde Bombers uh, after that. But Patterson and Stevens set the mold, set the tone for tag team wrestling in the 70s. And that carried on. Uh, his work in the WWF when he defeated Ted DiBiase for the North American Championship and then claimed he won a tournament in Rio de Janeiro to become the first intercontinental title, intercontinental champion, even though he kept the same belt, it was the exact same belt, the North American Championship was changed to the intercontinental title, and Pat Patterson was claimed is the first holder of that belt. You gonna say something? Go before your finger falls off. You know, no, just real quick. Uh, didn't he beat the South American champion? 
for that title? Yeah, uh, yeah I believe so. Uh, record because that's statute. that's just the one point that I really wanted to make. You know, it's not that he's the first intercontinental championship, especially with the North American championship being recognized in NXT now. It's really kind of sad that we've lost the last South American champion of all time. That's true. It's a, we're a double mourning. Uh, from there, when he well, when he came to the WWF, not only did he establish himself as a heel right away, as being managed by the late great Grand Wizard, when the, his contract was sold to Lou Albano, Pat Patterson came right out and said, "I want nothing to do with Lou Albano. That man is garbage," and that turned Pat Patterson face. That's and what did it. That's what did it. He turned on. They had a six-man match with uh, Pat Patterson, two of Lou Albano's um, men, and he turned on them, or they turned on Pat, and Pat Patterson became a face for the rest of his career. And oh, his no. his matches with Sergeant Slaughter, after Slaughter was putting people out with the Cobra Clutch, and no one, he couldn't get any challengers. And Pat Patterson, by this time, was a ring or was a commentator alongside Vince McMahon. He went to the ring to interview Sergeant Slaughter and said, Slaughter, come, you know, nobody can, can, uh, nobody wants to challenge you in your Cobra Clutch Challenge. And Slaughter looked at Patterson because they're all yellow, just like you, Patterson, and slapped Pat Patterson. Patterson ripped off his shirt, ripped off his jacket, grabbed Sergeant Slaughter, said, come in the ring. And Pat Patterson was the first man to break Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Clutch. And that started their epic series of matches in Madison Square Garden culminating in the boot camp death match um, that still to this day, it remains one of the most um, iconic matches only because Sergeant Slaughter bled a gusher, but it main evented Madison Square Garden. That was without a world championship match. It was Pat Patterson and Sergeant Slaughter that main evented. I should say before that though, when Patterson was the only continental champion, usually when you take on the world champion in the world wrestling federation back then, with Bob Backham, they'd have three matches. They'd have one match where the heel would win, namely Patterson. Second match would be a um, no double disqualification, double countout. And the third match will be the blow-off where the champion, in this case, Backham, would win. Pat Patterson and Bob Backham did such great business when they fought each other. They went to four straight matches at Madison Square Garden. And the fourth one culminated in what Inside Wrestling, the Bill After publication called the most ferocious cage match in history between Pat Patterson and Bob Backlund. They were fighting on top of the cage, and it wasn't until an elbow from, from Backlund that caused Patterson to fall off the top of the cage, take an insane Bobby Eaton-like bump. And Bob Backlund won the cage match, but he never pinned Pat Patterson. And Patterson could always claim that, uh, that he was never pinned. But four straight matches in Madison Square Garden, four straight sellouts, four straight 20,000 seat, uh, 20, uh, seats sold to Madison Square Garden between Pat Patterson and Bob Backlund. And, of course, we can go on about what Patterson did behind the scenes with uh, Vince. He and Vince formed an amazing friendship. He, is the, he was the godfather of Stephanie McMahon, um, and he... Uh, a visionary in professional wrestling. It was Pat Patterson who who created, who invented the Royal Rumble. That was Patterson's idea. The uh, the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior match was all planned by Pat Patterson. The Rock Hulk Hogan match at Toronto Skydome. The 
very beginning, the stare down, the looking at the crowd, that was all Pat Patterson. Uh, Pat Patterson, when his brief time in Florida, when he was a heel, he learned a lot from Eddie Graham because it seemed like Pat Patterson took over the mantle of Eddie Graham as being the closer. If you need a finish and you don't have one, you go to Eddie Graham was the guy that Vince McMahon Sr., Vern Gagne, Bill Watts would all call. And they would call Eddie Graham during a, during their card to say, hey, we got a main event. I don't have an ending. They call up Eddie Graham and they get an ending. Pat Patterson was the closer because if you need a finish for a match, Patterson was your guy. And I will remember him just from his work in the ring uh, and what he and Ray Stevens did as a tag team, uh, his his comedy matches. He His match with Jerry Briscoe, he, when he and Jerry Briscoe took on the Mean Street Posse, at the time, that was the highest-rated segment in all the Monday Night Wars. And as far as comedy wrestling goes, I got a kick out of that. That was a match where I had friends calling me, are you watching this? This is awesome. And I have to agree. So my uh, my memories of Pat Patterson are strictly wrestling and what he did for the sport, what he did for uh, creating the Royal Rumble, what he did for endings, and what he did for, for booking. Uh, Pat Patterson deserves his spot in, in history. I'm only focusing on the wrestling part of Pat Patterson. And if you read our, uh, our Twitter and our Facebook uh, announcement of tonight's episode, you're going to get three different, uh, <laughs> three different reactions to the, uh, the death of Pat Patterson. I'm doing the, uh, the wrestling part. Uh, that's one uh, reaction to his death. And go, I want to hear yours. So you're up next. Your your thoughts and memories of the great Pat Patterson. You know, um, I don't like I said. You know, South American champion, which is the big thing that I really wanted to chime on because you know, if we're going to bring back championships, it's about time that we really recognize South America as a championship. Um, other than that, you know, like you said you're not a big comedy wrestling fan, and you know what? It, it's real hit or miss. Man, him and Briscoe really just I, – I thought they were just – they were good at what they did in an older age. You know what I'm saying? They held their own for, for the most part in matches. Uh, can you ask much more of two guys that are backstage and you're, you're going to go out and make goofs of every week who have historic careers on top of this? And Vince just liked to troll them out like dummies. And, like, they took it in stride. I don't know, man. Like, it's hard to, like, I know there's out-of-the-ring stuff that's just meh. But, like, in the ring, like, here's two guys that played the role and towed the company line. Are you, how much, how, how much, they're, who knows, maybe 10 years from now, The Undertaker has to run out and be a stooge for Shane. Well, yeah. There you go. I said it. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> I'm reminded. I'm reminded of the late great uh, Kamala, who he also lost. Was it this year? I don't know. Everything. It, it, it was this year. That's how long 2020 been. It's the longest bl- decade. I lost. Kamala Harris was not Kamala Harris. Point. Shut up. <laughs> That's not what I meant at all. Um, Go ahead, Dan. The <laughs> Tom Mark. The um. I'm reminded of the song that Kamala wrote called Push It. And if either of you have not heard that song before, 
I know, Craig, you have. That was a formality I was using. Yes. Uh, Go Thompson, if you've not seen the or heard no, the song. I have no idea what's happening. Well, it's about uh, uh, the abuse and the assault that was going around in the WWE at the time. And uh, one of the perpetrators was Mr. Pat Patterson. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Okay. So I'm not going to sit here and bash the man because, number one, apparently I'm not allowed to because uh, he's dead. And well, I not know. dead. Well, no. Here, first of all, let me just say this the dead don't give a shit, they're dead. I know there's gonna be people talking about me when I'm dead, and you know what? I, I look don't right now, you right now. It looks like the ghost of Pat Patterson's behind you. That is terrifying in more ways than one. <laughs> Lost, but God damn it, Mark ADD. <laughs> Son of a no, bitch. He goes, it doesn't matter because he's dead. So if people, you, you oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. You, I even made this point where I see a lot of people go, well, he's dead. How dare you do it on the day he's dead? When I'm dead, feel free. You know why I won't care? Because I'm dead. I don't care. I'll be dead. Uh, there were issues. Now, to be fair, at the time, the sexual assault and the sexual abuse and physical abuse that went on was addressed at the time. Uh, but they kind of, I, the problem I have with it is pe- uh, other careers suffering because of said abuse and alligator. You get what I'm, that's the drift I'm getting at. And people say, well, you can't mention it now that he's dead, but you didn't, you didn't address it when he was alive. So when do you address it? It's the same people that say, well, don't protest on my time. Well, what time's convenient for you? When, when it's okay. Especially the same business that's letting certain spousal abusers go over. Oh, can I talk about that? Is it okay to talk about them? Or did I not talk? Did I talk about them enough because it annoyed you? I have to stop now and stop talking about it. I'm so, so I'm so t- I'm t- tired of being told how to feel, what to feel about it. Pat Patterson was an amazing wrestler. He's a legend. He's a legend. I appreciate his contributions to the wrestling world. He was the first openly gay wrestler that I know of. I haven't heard before. Um, he was an abusive prick and got away with the abuse. And in the world of speaking out, it feels like 90% of the people that were all over that hatch tag were all over it for clout. and don't care about the abuse or the assault or any of this other stuff that was going on. Because as soon as they it suits them, they turn a blind eye to it. When the great... Uh, when Moolah died. Yeah. Craig, you and I oh. talked about it when Mula died. Oh. Everybody was all about what she did to the women that worked under her, physically and mentally. The money they she stole, the way they she beat the shit out of them. And th- I'm not talking about big old tough old time training. That's a different animal. This is not the same thing. She was terrible to people, and it was okay because it was the great Mula, and it's not okay. Yeah, it, I, and the the emotional toll that she she took on that's not uh, okay. Uh, yeah, and and Dan and and uh, when after she died, and you you realize how quickly the the WWE did an about face because it was yeah she had a tournament, the women's tournament named after her, and right after she died, and the backlash, the amount of people coming forward to talk about the amount of abuse 
that Moolah had inflicted upon uh, a generation of, of female wrestlers, they took the name off. And I've always been the type, and I've always been a person that if I had plenty of bad things to say about you when you're alive, you dying is not going to change anything. Dying has never made anyone a saint. Okay. But it's like, like you're not, we're, we're not supposed to say anything bad about Hitler? Oh, no, he's dead. You can't say anything bad oh, about fuck, him. Yeah, oh, fuck Hitler. I, he's a piece of shit. To quote uh, Justin had, America. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, because, and so I'm this, I'm the same way. If there was plenty of bad things to say about Pat Patterson, about his abuse, and he was let go from the company after the Mel Phillips, um, but then he was brought back very quietly, you know, and I, granted, this was in way before social media and newsletters and, you know, internet and stuff like that. So, you know, when he was, he was gone for um, a matter of time for a number of, of months and then he, he was back. Um, but he just couldn't talk about it anymore, but it still happened. And he, what his, his abuse and his manipulation of certain wrestlers and, and backstage crew uh, should never be forgotten or should be swept under the rug. You know, I, people still maintain, and it's always maintained that the only reason the Brooklyn Brawler got a push in the first place was because of his relationship with Pat Patterson. Because Steve Lombardi had been a career jobber his entire career. Then what do you know? He gets a, a main event push, and he's on WrestleMania. And, you know, from, from where? For what? And that and what these people would say is because of his relationship with Pat Patterson. Um, <laughs> that doesn't, that's something that should not be, you know, overlooked or should be swept under the rug. And like I said, if you had plenty of bad things to say about Pat Patterson when he was alive, it, his death shouldn't change a single thing. Listen, a, a family lost a relative. Uh, it's death. We all go and we're all gonna go. It's just a question of who first and when. But we're all, there's two things we're not avoiding death and taxes. And sometimes three, the coronavirus, because masks are apparently a problem. Um, but, oh, man. and I'm not, I, listen, you can absent Phil Collins. Phil Collins should never be married. Phil Collins can't keep his dick in his pants. He is a horrible husband and a horrible uh, lover. I can acknowledge that. Maybe he's like a great lover, but he's just a horrible relationship. He's an easy lover. Yeah. Yeah. I made the joke before Craig because I can feel, I feel Craig. Was, Beat me by one second. Beat I, me I by can one second. feel Craig tapping me on the shoulder going, <laughs> I got one. Oh. Yeah, but uh, but Phil, but yes, but Phil Collins is someone who never, who should never, you know, he's never going to go down in history as a great husband or a great no. partner. And I mean. I, in fact, the stuff with his current wife, I was like, that's kind of karma, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. what am I, what am I supposed to say? Like, how yeah. dare her? And I'm like, uh, I mean, but is Phil Collins still one of the greatest musicians of all time? Yes, period. Most definitely. I just want to make clear that's what we said here. In the top like thousand. What was that? Well, I said in the top thousand. No, he's in the he's in the, he's in the top ten, twenty. Anyway, did he just no, say just drummer poke, in the top thousand? I just wanted to poke the bear. Go ahead, keep going. Oh my you know god! You know I was just picking on you. Stop it. Get over. Oh, I know what song. you're doing. Uh, purple flavored trash. Uh, Perp says, "Look, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to." 
I'm going. I'm not going to his family's place to gloat about how I'm upset that an alleged pedophile rapist who did so for a very long time. My words will never touch their ears. Fuck him. <laughs> and I get how that feels. You know, you're also discrediting somebody who's been abused because you're like, well, you know, he he was. Nobody's questioning his legacy in wrestling. It's a hell mm-hmm. of a legacy. But you should absolutely question question me when I die. Question me now. Question Craig. Someone tries. <laughs> Question Mark. Mark thinks Chris Jericho's in the top ten. Why isn't anybody looking at Mark? Not top. Not top ten. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm whoa. sorry. Greatest of all time. No. Numero uno. Yeah. Just saying. The goat. Uh, but. You know, at the same year we lost Kabbalah, at, at years ago, uh, what was it last year or two years ago? Uh, the great, uh, the fabulous Mullah. I keep saying the great Mullah. I'm like, that's not it at all. That's, those words Who's are not I don't know. My head. Uh, the fabulous Mullah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't Can know. I go back and watch some AWA matches of the great Mullah? Go ahead. You can find them. <laughs> you, yeah. I, nothing's I'm stopping just- you. Great Mola versus Kodiak Bear, nineteen ninety four. Did she wrestle Kodiak Bear? Or are you also effing with me right now? <laughs> no one gets my jokes anymore. I want anymore. the Kodiak Bear anymore. in this. I want the Kodiak Bear on the show. Damn it! Do you really Man. want? The- yes, I want the Kodiak Bear on this show. <laughs> Maybe I can make it happen for Christmas. I, I you know, I know, I know who the Kodiak Bear is. Man and and Pat Patterson actually wrestled a bear during his career. That's right, Pat Patterson did wrestle a bear. Mm-hmm. Was it a Kodiak bear though? That's the real. I don't think it was a Kodiak bear. No. <laughs> Care. Uh, Jer- uh, Joyce Danny said. Danny says it's not okay. Everyone does not want to talk ill of the dead because of karma. I mean, what? If there's can nothing. I really, can I, can I really person... equate any more bad karma at this point? No. What what is saying something bad about someone who was bad when they who did bad things when they were alive? Why is saying something bad when they're dead? How do, what does that have to do with karma? Hold on, I have to scroll back up. I forgot this message from Perp. Hold on. Where is it? When Jerry Sandusky dies, we ain't talking about what he did for UPenn and his children organizations. Exactly. That bad karma to talk about, you know, <laughs> when he dies, you know, the the amount of kids that have been harmed then, you know, for that he for years, when, they had to worry about when Jimmy Stucka died. We did it the same way. We talked about his legacy, and we talked about the stuff after his legacy. Yes. Again, if you had plenty of bad things to say about when someone when when they were alive, them being dead should not change a damn thing. Okay. Sure. If I was a prick while I'm here, and I treated anyone I knew like shit, and I'm dead. I don't expect a person that I treated like shit to say, well, you know, he was, he was, he was kind of funny, though. <laughs> Listen, that to him. enough people have called me a piece of trash that mm-hmm. I just accept that I'm probably a piece of trash and that not a lot of hell of a lot of people are going to say nice things about me when I'm dead. Yeah, I, the, I, the, only, the only thing I really wish I had going for me was, you know, like if I was, if I was a piece of trash, if I was handsome, that's like the, the, the thing they'd cover up with. See, I am a handsome piece of trash, so I've been told. I'm a fine piece of shit. I am. 
I cover a lot of things up with a beard, so I'm mostly beard. I don't cover yeah. a lot of things. Up yeah, but 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 the, no, but to, to to comment on what Danny said, I I I mean, if that's your belief, that's fine. But I death shouldn't change your opinion of one person. One death doesn't make anyone a saint. I believe Danny was commenting on how people feel, not how her personal beliefs are. I believe. Okay. I Fair well, those, those people that feel that way, I I vehemently disagree. But I have plenty of bad things to say about when you are alive. I will have plenty. I will have the same bad things to say about you when you're dead. And here's the thing, uh, this is from Perp, and here's the thing, this isn't removed from his legacy. He was a predator to Ring Boys, and the yes, WWE allegedly enabled this. And that's why they stopped having them, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Be, be, because of him. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, so thank you for that, Mr. Patterson. Now, we can all go about our day. Uh, thank you, Pat, for your contributions, and fuck you for your things you took away. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Natural segue. Yeah, it's a leg. It is a legacy, like Snuka and, and anybody in wrestling. We'll, we'll talk about for a long time and debate. Uh, Craig, I see you might going down. What were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, and professional wrestling is is filled with more uh, sketchy characters with questionable backgrounds that did tremendous things for. <laughs> The world of professional wrestling. You know, you can look at you know baseball. You, you know, you have you have your your, your Ty Cobbs or your Danny McClain's or you know in in uh, football you have. I'm sure there's a criminal or two. And OJ obviously is the most popular Hall of Fame uh, double murder. But um, with professional wrestling, you know, people like Mula, Jimmy Snuka, Fritz von Erich. Fritz, yeah, yeah there you, that, talk that about work. grooming and, and abuse, man. Yeah, that weren't very savory characters, but at the same time, you cannot uh, deny their place in professional wrestling. And I mentioned him earlier in this segment. Eddie Graham um, wasn't, uh, and that day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Graham family curse, you know, he took his own life. Mike took his own life, and uh, because of the uh, of what the business did to them and what they did to uh, certain people in the business. So, us being fans of professional wrestling, it just comes with it. You know, a couple of years ago, someone asked me, "Is it hard to be a wrestling fan because we we've lost so many great wrestlers so young?" You know, and that's just it comes with it. And when we lose someone, or even if we haven't lost someone. The business of professional wrestling, it kind of breeds unsavory characters. Now, there's some good guys out there that have, you know, lived their lives as wrestlers above, you know, above board, did the best they could, didn't break any laws, didn't abuse anyone physically, mentally, or, or sexually, and, you know, got out with their minds intact and can still live to tell the story. I'll talk about that in our uh, future wrestling historian. Uh, but, uh, Every once in a while, when we do lose someone, or and it's more often than not someone that has a uh, a disreputable past, 
that we can't not address. We can applaud them for what they did in the ring, but uh, being an exemplary person outside of the ring isn't always exclusive to being a good person. Rock and roll, Buck Zumboff. Yes. Whatever his name was. Yeah, Buck Zumboff, yes. It just happened. He was a he was just as shitty person as he was a shitty wrestler. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He's, he's the opposite end of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> he was not only trash in the ring, he was trash out of the ring. I guess yeah. it goes it goes back to the... Um, I, I, I brought up the, the speaking out thing earlier. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to name names. Um, but I, I see all these, when speaking out was happening, you know, you find out real quick, especially when a pandemic's happening, you have a lot of time on your hands. Um, you can see who really wants to make a change and be better and who doesn't give a damn. And you talk about supporting survivors and victims, but you're quick to donate to a druggie, not a recovering addict. I'm talking about something specifically here without naming names. Not someone who is trying to better themselves. Somebody who is going to continue to abuse drugs uh, and take your money and do that. This wasn't a, a wrestling thing. This is a personal thing that is being twisted in a wrestling thing, and it's not. But you'll ignore somebody who's also doing GoFundMe or trying to raise money to take care of bills, who is genuinely a good person and trying and lost something because of wrestling, but you're ignoring that because you like this person more. I got you. I can't, you know, I'll tell you who it is off air. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I got you. Uh. I, I don't know if you saw it, Craig, but I'll tell you off air who I'm talking about. No, I didn't see it, but thank no, you. I'll, for I'll tell me. you later. But uh, let's get okay. off the serious BS. Oh, and then there's a uh, listen. There's another thing. Um, Perp and I were talking about off air, and this comes to uh, uh, there is a show on a Twitter account that came out during uh, all this speaking out stuff. Going back to that uh, with WrestleJoy. And it turns out that, again, I'm not going to name names, but Russell Joy was, I, I'm not sure how to word this, but uh, denying white supremacy at the same time being a white supremacist or white privilege, I guess. White privilege is the correct word. Denying white privilege at the same time exuding white privilege. Uh, and they're not going to be around anymore. Uh, but what's Russell Joy? Leave that question where it is, Danny. I don't. don't go any further with that. Wrestle Joy is what it is. Uh, but one of the things I was talking about with Perp was the ability to change and learn from your hate or mistake, right? Mark, uh, listen, I said stupid things and hateful, spiteful things when I was younger before I was like, oh my God. Hmm. That's probably oh. not good. Oh, that's not good. That's terrible. You're a terrible person for saying that. Maybe you should not do that anymore. And you learn and you talk to people and you go, listen, I effed up. What can I, 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 what do I need to do to make this better? What can I do to make this better? And you build from there. Absolutely. I've made horrible, and looking back at 17 year old me, I'm like, wow, you are the worst at some points, but 
Yeah. You'd no, I, I, if I ever saw a 15-year-old me on the street, I'd run him over with a car. <laughs> Absolutely run him over with a car. The 15, 18, 22-year-old me run over with car, lot to learn. But and, that, but that's the beauty of who you are now. You, you did learn. You I am did beautiful. Grow. Yes, you are. Correct. But no, but every day you learn like something. Flower. Thank you. <laughs> Stop it. But every day I learn something new. To this day, if you're waking up, and you're not learning something new. Because uh, I am a deeply flawed and deeply damaged individual. Perfect is not a word that ever crossed my mind and never even thought about, except for this face. Other than that, thank you. Got platinum. Platinum baby, but it, all serious, all kidding aside, deeply flawed. <laughs> little little white guy from South Jersey. Some of us never moved away from that. Some of us purposely didn't move away from that. We no longer associate with those people anymore. Uh, that person I'm addressing from that podcast of that name I mentioned once and once only has a lot of learning and redemption to do. If they want to, but it's going to be a lot. But the hole they took <laughs> deeper, deeper all day was one of those quit while you're, they're not, I, are they done or blocked? I think they shut their account off, Danny. I think they're gone, gone. Uh, but all the replies are there. Oh no, they're back. Yeah, they're all there. They're they're protected, but all the replies are there. There's screenshots out there somewhere. Danny, look up post and not person. Uh, answering, but what Perp and I were talking about was answering for it and being better, because redemption is allowed. Now you and I don't get to decide when that redemption is. Period. Society doesn't decide. The people who were involved get to decide when that redemption is. That's what I've been told. That's what I was taught as a young man and how I had to learn the hard way sometimes. Uh-oh. When, when, when they're ready to accept your apology, that's when the apology is done. Until then, you deal with it and you move on and learn. Or be racist and piece of shit on purpose and you're just a racist piece of shit. Craig, you teach me things every month at least where I'm like, ah, huh, didn't know that. Hmm. I understand, Dan. Thank and you. That's, well, well, that's what makes you you. And, you know, when we do, and I did the historian, you know, a couple weeks ago when I talked about the first time that a uh, black wrestler wrestled another black wrestler, and this is in 1963. In 1963! Or the first time a white wrestler teamed up with a black wrestler, and this was in 1966. That's that way. But, Craig, that's how shitty white people were. They weren't even letting black people wrestle each other. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we we learn, and that's how we move on. And and part of the idea of the historian is just not only just bringing you – dates and about things that happened in professional wrestling but the key word is history historian how far we've come and how far you know we still have to go and it, it blows your mind that this was only happening in 1966 you know which is in my lifetime that just, I know what that happened, just happened last year yeah then it's uh 
then it's it's something that you know we need to carry on as as human beings. And in since we were, go ahead, Dan. I'm laughing at it, but I'm not laughing at you. That's oh, what makes me laugh about some people that like. Well, you know, you know, the civil rights thing. It's, 1968 is a long time ago. Yes, but in 1967, Craig's grandfather was still getting threatened to be hung in a tree. And uh, and Martin Luther King died in my lifetime, so uh, and assassinated. Uh, so it's everyone like it was all like it wasn't that long ago for me. No, it was and, yesterday. So shut yeah. up. And especially if anyone who's lived through this year, 2020, with police attacking peaceful protesters, and then tell me that 1968 was a long time ago, this year was 1968 all over again. Okay. So, and I know this is a wrestling podcast, and I swear to God, people listening, we are going to talk no, wrestling. Li- no, listen, that was ten yeah. minutes of about how long yeah. have we been going? About forty. Yeah, but uh, I, and, but, and I was just, you know, I was getting social justice for the for a minute there. Good, and uh, thank you. We can, but if we can do that every podcast, that'd be great. But it's, but I especially wanted something that's on your on your mind, or if it's something that that affects wrestling, the fact that wrestling. Uh, that particular uh, wrestling organization is no longer around. If it wasn't still happening now and and directly tied into wrestling, some some of the things I see that I kind of hang back on now because it's like, I'm, I'm not involved, don't say anything, then I probably wouldn't have said anything. But considering that the attention span for wrestling is about six seconds, I felt it was relevant. Oh. But let's move off the serious stuff because Mark is real excited to talk about the return. I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to lead us back to the shallow end of the pool here. Yeah, real quick. yeah, yeah. Back to the shallow end where it's easier to swim. The NWA has returned from the pandemic break. Um, I'm super excited about this. I, the presentation is not superior. I mean, I mean, the presentation beforehand was not superior, but it was fun. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the NWA power show was fun because it looked like old wrestling, right? But now no, I don't think any wrestling has looked more awkward in front of no one, but the brain, the, the wrestling itself was awesome last night. Uh, NWA Shock is what they're calling it. Shockwave. It's on, Shockwave, I apologize. I just wanted to be one word. Um, NWA Shockwave is on, uh, it's on, it airs on Monday on one of the wackadoo independent wrestling network. <laughs> wackadoo. That why would you pay for that like a lunatic when you could just watch it on YouTube the next day for free and it's a half hour long. Yeah, it was thirty three minutes. I watched it right before um, uh, we got on here. I was like, well, let me see what they're doing. Uh, and I I just wanted to add that uh, Nick Alt is so good. He's the most underrated wrestler how listen and it all goes back to he had a match with um isaiah um isaiah frazier and nova for the nwa title and i swear to you craig i will find this match i will look for this match it's so it's so good it's so good and nobody's ever heard of isaiah and how dare you and i i just want to comment on what mark said uh I know you said he's the most underrated. Anyone who's ever seen Nick Aldis or even remembers him as Magnus in TNA knows how good he is. 
So I wouldn't say he was the most underrated. He's the most not known. Because I would put him right next to Drew McIntyre right now. I was going to say, I apologize. He's kind of lost in the shuffle of how wrestling has turned out right now. You're, you're absolutely right. Saying he's underrated is is wrong. But, like, lost in the universe of professional wrestling right now. The fact I that he's on NWA, not TNA, or AEW, or WWE is insulting. Although, I don't know if I'd want him in, in WWE at this point. I de- and I definitely wouldn't want him in AEW because he would be criminally misused. And uh, not part, he shouldn't be part of the uh, Tony Khan Amateur Hour. But he, go ahead. He, he does. We, I, I, once again, I hate. You know, he does the gimmick that we've talked about. He's like the Nick Bockwinkle. He's the Ric Flair. He's the Million Dollar Man toned down. Like, he's the rich guy that's better than you. But the fact that he's also British really just, I feel like, just lines the, the coffin with cement and makes it just so much better. Because he feel, like when he talks to me, I'm like, no, you're right. I, I, you're right, Nick Aldis. I should be doing better. You're, I, absolutely. I will never own a suit as nice as yours. You're, I'm sorry. I, I, I've let you down. He, he's got the old old school xenophobia go. It's like anyone who's not American, he's all, he's automatically a heel. Especially if he's British, that means he's snooty. If he's German, that means he's evil. If he's uh, has brown, if he's Iranian or even foreign looking, he's you know, he's the enemy. But he he pulls it off better than any. He's one of the guys. I mean, we've talked about it in any era. He would be a '70s NWA champian. He would be a, a an '80s like world-class heavyweight champion. He, he, he could work in any territory, and he would fit in perfectly any era. There's there's two things you can do with British people in, in professional wrestling. You can make them the British Bulldog, and he's a lovable scamp, and, you know, he, he's a big, tough guy, or he's a total jerk. There's no middle ground for British people in professional wrestling. It's just how it is. Stephen Regal. Is there a middle ground for him? He was a lovable dude, or he was a total dirtbag, right? Yeah, yeah. No, there was no really Maybe, hot. I don't know. No, no, there was no hot and cold with uh, uh, Mr. William Regal, Mr. Lord Stephen Regal. Uh, well, he was either Lord Stephen Regal, William Regal, or William Regal. <laughs> there was no in between, no. Gentleman Chris Adams, who was Stephen Regal's mentor. Uh, who broke him into the sport, a very good face. But, man, when he turned heel, it, it felt like the world couldn't wait to boo him. And uh, he stayed heel for the rest of his uh, shortened career, his alcohol-fused career. But he isn't, that's another guy, speaking of which, that um, plenty of great things to say about his stuff and his, his place in the ring, the inventor of the super kick, the, the single most popular move in professional wrestling now. Oh, my God. Chris Adams invented it, but... Uh, it's flaming douche tard outside of the ring and <laughs> drank himself to a to a very to a premature death, which is really sad. I Probably. I have not heard those two amazing words put together before. Yeah, well, I I barely really talk about Chris Adams before, so that's why when I use it, but um, specifically reserved for him for, that's for, nice. for Chris Adams. Yeah, uh, but part of the world class curse. But yes, um, yeah, back to NWA. I'm sorry, uh, Shockwave. I'm just excited for it to be back and be on every week. Um, just something else to watch. Give me something in my eyes to try something else. And it's just like such a different brand of professional wrestling. It's not 
AEW's got its thing and it's kind of spotty and it 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 likes to you know choreograph a lot of nonsense and it's like like sometimes it doesn't all the time and you know NXT is what it is and it's just like when I watch the NWA I'm like ah man if I showed my grandpa this he would be like let's watch another one yeah it, it just got that nice it that old wrestling feel but there's still nice new stuff in it storyline wise and and character development wise i don't know i'm just so happy it just it made me feel good last night to find that on youtube it was like hey dummy here's this for you and i was like what christmas came early <laughs> so anyway that's all that's my big big thing on chocolate so hey Hood slam. Oh. There's uh, for those who are tired of. Uh, I, I want to present two uh, alternates uh, and a third. Obviously, it's coming up for those that are tired of the same cycle of wrestling shows out there. Yes, uh, I advise you to check out Hood Slam. Hood Slam is West Coast based. Okay, person of color operated. Uh, please Go check on. out Hood Slam. Uh, our friend Perp has not put Hood Slam over enough. I mean that sarcastically. They put it over all the time. And can I YouTube this? Uh, yes, you can. Sweet. Uh, and I I have been told. Fair warning. It is best seen live, which obviously will be a while before you see it again. But you can <laughs> check up Hood Slam on Twitter and on YouTube. Um. I was looking for the Twitter account to mention this other company so I could plug the Twitter and I can't goddamn find it. Uh, but to the third one I was going to mention, which I'll slide in a second since I'm looking for the other one, because I want to get all the information correct, is Butch versus Gore. Butch versus Gore is coming back. LGBT own and run. Wow. LGBTQ and own, own and run. Uh, the last wrestling show in the D.C. area that went off before the week... The three days before lockdown was the last Butch versus Good. It was the last uh, primetime pro wrestling, which is going to give birth to eventually Butch versus Gore when, uh, whenever the hell we can all get together again. Um, and there was a spinoff, not a spinoff, but excuse me. There was another event that happened by trans woman of color in Oakland. Is is who runs Hood Slam? Thank you, thank you very much. Again, I I keep forgetting to look them up. I have them on my notes for this weekend on stuff to watch. And uh, but there is a an event, the first ever pro wrestling Kiki Ball, happened uh, last month. Paris is burning. Uh, Pan Paris is wrestling. Excuse me, based on Paris is burning. Catchy title. Yes, uh, taken from that movie. I hope and, so. And it's under an hour. Ooh. And it does tease the sequel to what I was going to say. Butch versus Gore is coming back after the lockdowns are over. Nice. So. Sold. I I will I cannot say enough. Uh again, coming with growing up and learning new things. You find out things about yourself and things that have been missing, and I am 100%, 1,000% will die on the hill for these people. 
I will literally die on that hill. I was going to go into the whole Elliot Page uh, <laughs> Twitter debacle that it is because apparently somebody being happy bothers so many other people, but we'll do that next week. Okay. Uh, but I think we covered a lot on this first part of this week. I think we covered each of it uh, in the correct way. Unless you're mad at me, and then in case I don't give a shit. Gentlemen and ladies, we're back from our Thanksgiving break. I trust you all had a happy and healthy and safe, very small, intimate Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, but we are back with the wrestling historian. We, we go back to a time when there was wrestling in all 50 states carved up like a nice turkey or pumpkin pie, if you will, where territories ruled the land, where there were sellouts in arenas, in stadiums, in high school gymnasiums across this great country of ours, back when medical facilities were called hospitals, back when titles were called belts, and back when sports entertainment was professional wrestling. Uh, we're going to go back to November 26, 1987, Thanksgiving of 1987 that year. Uh, a very important date and the WWF because that was the first and only time both companies went head-to-head -head on pay-per-view. And kids, if you don't remember what pay-per-view is, that was back when if you wanted to see your favorite uh, event, you would have to pay on your cable service to watch it. This is pre-WWE Network. So on this date, November 26, 1987, there was w the NWA's fifth annual Starcade going head-to-head -head with WWF's first ever Survivor Series. Now, and now Starcade had been a stalwart in the NWA for many years. Uh, like I said, it was their fifth annual one. Started in 1983 in Charlotte. And it remained in Charlotte. Um, in 85, they did it in Charlotte in Atlanta. But Starcade was a southern tradition uh, of NWA wrestling uh, in Charlotte and in uh, Atlanta. But the NWA had this great idea to take their act on the road. And for the first time, they held it outside of Charlotte, outside of Atlanta, and it was in Chicago. Not an NWA stronghold by any means, but it was the first Starcade they had in Chicago. First one that wasn't in the South. And that um, might have come back to haunt them. And that particular Starcade in 1987, uh, on that card, Dusty Rhodes would defeat Lex Luger for the United States Championship. Uh, Ric Flair would defeat Ronnie Garvin to regain his NWA Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express would defeat the Midnight Express. And for the second year in a row, the Midnight Express would be involved in a scaffold match. And this was a year after Jim Cornette had fallen from the scaffold in the Midnight Express's match against the Road Warriors. So exactly one year later, 
They may not express her back up on the scaffold at Starcade, this time against their arch nemesis, the Rock and Roll Express. Thankfully, Jim Cornette didn't take uh, the ride this time. Rock and Roll Express still came out on top. And even though it wasn't the main event, one of the impetuses for moving Starcade from the Charlotte Coliseum stronghold and moving it to Chicago was the NWA tag team title match between the champions Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard against the hometown boys, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. Now, even though Hawk and Animal were from Minnesota, they're their adopted hometown, their um, background hometown was Chicago. So this was seen as a homecoming for the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors uh, ended up pinning Tully Blanchard, but of course the uh, referee was knocked down or thrown, thrown on the top rope. So it ended up Arn and Tully would win by disqualification. Uh, that would effectively kill uh, the crowd there with the Road Warriors not winning in Chicago. And the fact that they moved uh, Starcade from Charlotte and Atlanta to Chicago and uh, the fact that there was no big payoff, uh, even though Ric Flair regained NWA title, Dusty Rhodes, like I said, defeated Lex Luger for the United States Championship. But when the Road Warriors didn't win the NWA tag team title from Tully and Arn, that kind of set the uh, left a bad taste in folks' mouth, and that more or less killed the uh, NWA in Chicago. And uh, specifically for any pay-per-views that they would have coming up, it wouldn't be for another 11 years until the NWA or WCW had a sellout in Chicago because Starcade there uh, killed it. On that same day, uh, while that was going on in Chicago, in Cleveland, in the Richfield Coliseum, the WWF was having their first ever Survivor Series. And we're in Chicago, NWA drew 8,000 folks. In Cleveland, in the Richfield Coliseum, the WWF drew 21,300 folks. Uh, and that was the first year they had teams of five strive to stay alive. Uh, opening match, the Honky Tonk Man left his entire team when he was left on the four-on-one with uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, Three-on-one, I should say. Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage. Just say you calling somebody? <laughs> but, uh, and um, the um, main event, um, it was kind of Bam Bam Bigelow's coming out party. Uh, the team of Bam Bam Bigelow, superstar Billy Graham, Ken Patera, and Hulk Hogan, and uh, someone else, uh, Paul Orndorff, uh, went up against Andre's, Andre the Giants team, led by Bobby Heenan. Uh, Andre, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, The Natural Butch Reed, and Ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, and the sad part about that is that uh, Butch Reed and um, One Man Gang are the only ones still alive from that team. Yeah, that's right. My God. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Hogan was uh, eliminated, and Bam Bam Bigelow went one on three against uh, Andre, One Man Gang, and King Bam Kong Bundy. Bam Bam should have won. Yeah. He pinned King Kong Bundy, pinned One Man Gang, but exhaustion and Andre the Giant's weight was too much for Bam Bam Bigelow to handle. And Andre the Giant won, uh, being the, the sole survivor. And until Hogan came out to uh, knock Andre out with his own belt, and so the crowd could go home happy. 
My biggest takeaway, though, was the 10 tag team tag team match. Uh, five tag teams on one side of the ring and five tag teams on the other. And there was nowhere for anyone else to stand. So you had uh, 16 wrestlers surrounding the ring during a 10 tag team tag team match. On one side, you had Strike Force, the British Bulldogs, the Rougeos, the Young Stallions, and the Killer Bees. On the other side, against the Hart Foundation, the Islanders, the Bolsheviks, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine, and Demolition. Um, amazing tag team match, and the uh, young, the Killer Bees would come out on top of all teams. But uh, that was the uh, Survivor Series. And WWF had 21,300 people in their, for their pay-per-view. Uh, NWA had 8,000 people in their pay-per-view. And the final buy rate numbers, uh, Starcade did a 3.3. Survivor Series did a 7.0. Jesus Christ. But that was the first <laughs> and only time that the WWF and the NWA would have head-to-head <laughs> pay-per-views. Your ratings on Wednesdays are a joke. Yeah. Oh, fuck, that made me laugh. Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at no. fans. I love modern wrestling. Like I, I, I watch it. I watch it like TV's a bit of a pain in the ass trying to get behind because so many shitty people. Now this guy's for another time. Listen to part one. But like, uh, like even with AEW, like we talked about in the past, who should have been and who isn't and what the f- they're doing. They just bring Sting back. Like, how are they different? But the ratings thing, it's not a discussion. There's no discussion. I'm sorry. Wrestling's burning alive right now. And from the ashes are going to be these companies for the likes of you've never seen before. But anybody saying ratings is a joke. Brian Alvarez. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Craig. No, that, oh. those, those numbers once again. WWF did a 7.0. <laughs> NWA did a 3.3. The people that are like, oh, it's not like it used to. Man, you stopped watching years ago before it got bad. Quote unquote, before it got bad and it was all these people of color and other sexualities you didn't like, you stopped watching years ago. Stop it. Craig like the, I watch, yeah. But they sound like the NFL fans that are pro, they were oh. kind of hot about the uh, the protests on Thanksgiving. It's like, I thought you stopped watching the NFL <laughs> yeah, for, when, exactly. when Kaepernick was doing it. So, like, how, how do you, why do you care? We Colin Kaepernick, the guy that was told by a Green Beret to kneel because it was more respectful because that's how they honor their dead in wars, kneeling by praying. That guy? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What do I but know? Then the, but then a black and white quarterback do it on uh, Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, how dare they disrespect this? I can't eat this turkey now because two <laughs> men I don't know protested atrocities. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. But again, that's I a thought- highlight. Yeah, <laughs> that whole that last five minutes is a highlight. <laughs> uh, staying on this date, uh, November 26th, uh, 1994, uh, three days after that year's Survivor <laughs> Series uh, in Madison Square Garden, uh, 
Big Daddy Cole Diesel defeated Bob Backlund in Madison Square Garden in eight seconds to win his first uh, WWF Heavyweight Championship and would start the legacy of Kevin Nash being the least profitable world champion in WWF history. Uh, one year later. Wow. He's just like, F Nash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and d- d- several factors. Um, wrestling was not, it was in the toilet that it was business was down all over the country. Um, but uh, Kevin Nash still, despite the, the huge push that he got and how popular he was at the time, still made less money than any world champion in WWF history. The numbers bear that out. But Kevin Nash can always say he was a world champion, and, and he was a multiple-time world champion in the WWF. And who he beat to do it. Yes. It's not like – I know we talk about the eight-second things, but it was still Bob effing Backlund. Yes. And and that power bomb and Bob uh, in his back actually put Bob Backlund on the shelf for another yeah. year and a half because of uh, of the back surgery. Um, that I mean, Bob in and itself, him regaining the championship um, 16 years after he, uh, I'm sorry, uh, nine years after he he lost it. Uh, yes, he lost it in the '83. I'm yeah, sorry, 11 correct. years. Yeah, you're correct. 11. Uh, after I knew he, what you meant. After he lost it. Uh, that is a story in and of itself. That was 94. Uh, 1995, we said the first was uh, Kevin Nash winning his first world championship. But 1995, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling had their very last event. You know, for four years, people, uh, you know, Smoky Mountain, I've mentioned it on several occasions on The Historian, um, was started a lot of careers of people that we know and love, uh, namely, chief among them, Kane. Uh, Glenn Jacobs, if anyone was watching any of the Undertakers, um, tribute to the Undertaker, um, his <laughs> matches with Kane were legendary, but it was only after Jim Cornette asked uh, Undertaker to come to Smoky Mountain to check out this guy, Glenn Jacobs, and Mark Cowell even said after one match, he said, I knew this guy is somebody that I can make a, a lot of money with. Because uh, we were the same size, same height, and he he was great. He was still green at the time, but willing to learn and willing to listen. And obviously, Undertaker and Kane um, had a hell of a, and Glenn Jacobson himself had a hell of a career. Uh, but Al Snow was another one. Um, Chris Candido, uh, Tracy Smothers, who we who we just we also lost this year. Uh, so many great uh, Tammy Fitch, Sonny got her start and for whether you like her or not you <laughs> for know better the name, or for worse <laughs> but you know the name sunny but she got her start in smoky mountain so smoky mountain wrestling managed a uh, run by jim Cornette, started a lot of great careers and were responsible for a lot of people um and even there and if they were only around for four years but in that those four years smoky mountain got their tag team champions on both wcw and on wwf uh and no other company, no other indie company had ever done that. ECW never did that. But they had their last um, their last show, the final show, Thanksgiving Thunder, uh, at the end. And in the fitting tribute, every face got to give Jim Cornette their finishing move. And at the end, Mark Curtis uh, was the one who, who pinned Jim Cornette uh, to say goodbye. But November 26, 1995, the final event in Smoky Mountain history. 
and uh, that was November 26th. Uh, November 27th, a uh, very significant date in NWA history. We're going to go back a ways. Um, Orville Brown, um, many of you may not know, but he was probably the most dominant wrestler of the 40s. Um, and in probably the most common injury of any professional wrestler, especially back then, uh, were car accidents. Um, there was no team bus, no team plane. You were responsible for your own transportation. So there have been more car accidents that have cost more careers in professional wrestling than in any other sport, uh, major, minor, or otherwise. Well, Orville Brown was uh, one of those who had a car accident that ended his career. And just so happened, Orville Brown was the current NWA champion. Orville Brown had to forfeit his championship and his upcoming bout with Luthez. So Luthez was awarded the NWA championship. And on this date, uh, November 27th, 1949, Luthez, uh, that would be his first of six NWA titles. And what I mentioned in last in the last historian, um, in 1957, um, during one of Luthez's reigns, he would be the only and the last unified, undisputed professional wrestling champion. The dominance of Luthez from from the 1949 to uh, the early 60s is unparalleled in wrestling history. Uh, we talked briefly about the Montreal Screwjob um, in last uh, in our last historian, and we talked about uh, Bret Hart said if it turned into a uh, a shoot if he and Sean started fighting for real, he knew that Sean couldn't pin him and Sean couldn't make him submit. When Luthez was the NWA champion, it was not only because he was the best wrestler in the United States; it's because if someone didn't want to do business or had a problem with Luthez going over. Luthez was so good, um, he could legitimately pin any man's shoulders to the mat for three seconds or make someone submit uh, just from his fingers or uh, his leg holds that he had. Luthez was what, what was called a hooker back then, what would be called a shooter now, but someone who was a legitimate um, Greco-Roman uh, supreme athlete um, conditioning way up the charts. I mentioned in a previous historian how he won a battle royal at the age of 72. Um, but uh, but Luthez was champion because if someone didn't want to do business, Luthez would take care of them. Luthez was often brought to other territories with uh, different wrestlers who didn't want to relinquish their version of the world championship. Luthez was brought in to take that title off said human being. And in no and wouldn't be nice about it in a, no uncertain terms. So, uh, Luthez's first of six NWA championships uh, began November 27, 1949. Uh, that same date, uh, November 27, 1991, at the fourth annual Survivor Series. Uh, this prob this date was probably called up if any of you watched the uh, the the week long tribute to the Undertaker. Well, November 27, 1991, with a little help from Ric Flair, The Undertaker won his first world championship, pinning Hulk Hogan um, with a tombstone pile driver onto a chair, placed in there by Ric Flair. But that would be The Undertaker's first 
World Championship and him going over in a legend like uh, Hulk Hogan, just less than a year removed from him being Mean Mark Callis in the w- in WCW. Uh, it's quite a triumph, but uh, it set the career of The Undertaker. Uh, got him on his way, took him to the stratosphere, and would mark his, uh, his legendary career. Uh, 30 years of um, whatever, but his first world title took place on November 27th, 1991. Uh, December 1st, 1973, right here, Philadelphia, at the famed Philadelphia Arena. Uh, Stan Stasiak took on the Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion Pedro Morales. And uh, in that bout, uh, Stan Stasiak held Pedro Morales up for a back suplex, and both men's shoulders were on the mat. The referee counted to three, and the bell rang. Uh, And the referee didn't declare a winner. The uh, ring announcer said, let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, for a great champion, Pedro Morales. And uh, the crowd left, and it wasn't until that weekend that it was announced that Stan Stasiak was the new Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. So as not to have a riot, which was commonplace in Pedro Morales' matches, not unlike his predecessor, Bruno Sammartino, had the uh, same effect. Uh, but so they wouldn't have a riot. They didn't announce that Pedro Morales had lost the uh, WWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. But uh, Stan Stasiak uh, didn't did indeed defeat Pedro Morales December 1st, 1973, even though it wasn't acknowledged in the ring at the time. And uh, his hand wasn't raised in victory. He wasn't presented the belt. The ring announcer and the referee knew what was going on, but and the announcer just said, "Let's hear it for a, have a hand for a great champion, Pedro Morales," uh, without acknowledging that he lost. But um, Stan Stasiak would have a nine-day reign as Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion to uh, transition uh, to Bruno Sammartino regaining the world. Wide Wrestling Federation Championship. Uh, they didn't want Bruno to go over Pedro. Pedro to go over Bruno. Stan Stasiak uh, was brought in to be to transfer to be the transitional champion. Uh, but nine days as champion is more than a lot of people have had. Yeah. More than Tommy Rich had. More than Dusty Rhodes had his first um, his first world title reign. What a crime. Yeah, but uh, December first. Stan Stasiak, the father of meat, of Sean Stasiak, uh, won his first and only world heavyweight champion. No, he'll never. He'll never be meat to me. He'll still be that guy from WCW and Natural Born Thrillers. He'll always be Sean Stasiak because he looks exactly like his dad. Yes, he does. Uh, That's really scary. But um, but Stan uh, Stasiak uh, definitely also should be a WWF Hall of Famer. Um, because he uh, did a tremendous, um, yeah. How was he? I just was baffled. baffled I was baffled by what you said. How is he not? <laughs> uh, why is Ivan Koloff not? Why is Ray Stevens not? We can go on and on, but that's a H and P. Vince is petty. 
a whole nother podcast. A whole nother podcast. We should do that one too. <laughs> we just call it HNP. Whole nother podcast. Uh, which brings us to today. Uh, in today in wrestling history, uh, 46 years ago today in King Amusha, Japan, the founder of All Japan Pro Wrestling, Giant Baba, would defeat the NWA champion Jack Briscoe to win his first NWA heavyweight championship. Uh, Giant Baba would become the first Japanese wrestler to win a world to win a recognized world championship. Uh, Ricky Dozan, uh, far and away, maybe the greatest uh, Japanese wrestler of all time, or is known as the greatest Japanese wrestler of all time. Uh, despite his matches with with the aforementioned Luthez, was never crowned the um, recognized as the world champion in the United States. Uh, Russia Komura, uh, Strong Kobayashi, all great. Uh, Japanese wrestlers, but Giant Baba was the first uh, Japanese wrestler to win a world championship of the big three. Obviously, Japanese wrestlers would go on to win world titles in other federations, Jumbo Saruta in the AWA, Mr. Saito in the AWA, and Tony Winoki defeated Bob Backlund for the World Wrestling Federation Championship in a title change that was never officially recognized in the WWF, but still, Antonio Winoki was a former world champion, as was Tatsumi Fujinami in the NWA, but a giant Baba did it first. And this was giant Baba's first of three world title reigns that he had. He defeated Jack Briscoe and he defeat and uh, he defeated Harley race twice in all three cases. Uh, giant Baba would defeat the NWA champion at the beginning of the week and would lose the title at the end of the week. So, uh, if you total all of giant Baba's NWA title reigns, they would equal 15 days. Wow. Yeah, and he was a three-time champ, wasn't he? Three-time champion, and all three total, all three reigns lasted a total of 15 days. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> he would lose a, in in, uh, wow. in in next week's historian. I will talk about December 9th, where Jack Briscoe defeated Giant Baba to regain the NWA championship. Um, but yeah, uh, and he defeated Harley Race twice. God, Jack, that's tough because it's Jack Briscoe and I, Giant Baba. Yeah. A little bit, or is it the other way? And what those ti- and what those title reigns did, even though Giant Baba was a three-time NWA champion and never once did he ever defend the belt in the United States, what it did for Japan and what it did for all Japan wrestling uh, got more Americans there, got more work for Americans there, made Giant Baba more over, uh, some would say, than, than Inoki with those NWA title wins because Inoki didn't have – the one world championship Randy did have was disputed by the WWF, even though it was recognized in Japan. But it got more business for all Japan. Uh, not to say that New Japan would uh, suffer any. Uh, they would do fine. But all Japan opened up the the uh, the uh, the doors for such American wrestlers uh, like Stan Hansen, like Terry Gordy, like Hulk Hogan, uh, like Vader uh, later on, uh, like Bruiser Brody. Uh, but it was those NWA title wins by Giant Baba that would put all Japan on the map, would put him on the map, and uh, would ease the way for American wrestlers uh, into Japan for a big payday, for uh, international recognition, and for even for wrestlers that couldn't really cut it in uh, 
in America or even wrestlers that were big deals in America but were even bigger deals in Japan, namely Terry Gordy's, namely Ted DiBiase's, uh, namely Dan Spivey's. Uh, but all that was because of the win of uh, Giant Baba, um, his three NWA titles. But his first one took place today, December 2nd, 1974, uh, over Jack Briscoe. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. And you can find me, Craig Lagans, as it says on your bottle screen, in all caps on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, at Craig Lagans, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on Twitter, hating myself for wondering why Sting is in AEW, <laughs> at DanLaw83. All social media platforms, too. This finishes, finished edited the other way around. Episode is at youtube.com slash daniel83. If you go to vocnation.com, you listen to the episode there. Or on your smartphone, go to your podcast app, type in VOC Nation Radio Network, and listen to the episode there. Please subscribe. Tell all your friends. Tell your lovers. Tell your coworkers. Listen. J-H-I-C, Talk Radio. For the just as curious about Sting being in AEW, Craig Legans, <laughs> and I'm probably sure he'll love it being in AEW Sting, though Thompson was missing in action. I am the what the fuck is AEW doing? Uh, Dan Law 83, Dan Calchico, we'll see you next week. What the fuck is AEW doing? Goodbye. Hey, this is a Total Package, Lex Luger, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history, the voice of choice, and killer can wrestling. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's 
WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You getting ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.